Hey there, welcome to the Dressage with Amelia podcast, where it's all about breaking things down and helping you learn to love your ride. I'm your host, Amelia Newcomb. These sessions are recordings from my Facebook Live, where I answer as many questions as I can from my audience. I hope you enjoy this episode where I answer your questions about dressage. Please help me out and share this with a friend who also rides horses. Tonight, we are going live on Instagram and YouTube. So if you can see our computer screens, we have like my phone and the TV going. So it's a, it's an experience. Yes. We'll see how it turns out. Yes. But for tonight, as always, we're going to be answering some of your questions. But I wanted to talk a little bit, since Herman is with me tonight, about how we plan and structure our lessons with students. I came up with this idea because last weekend I was teaching a clinic in Colorado. And it was an awesome clinic. We had riders from intro level all the way up to the FEI level. And it was all amateur riders, all very different horses. It was very, very fun. But I got a lot of questions from the audience about like, why are you doing this exercise? Uh, Why does like, why are you selecting this particular pattern for this particular horse? And so I thought it would be interesting to talk a bit about that. Yes, it is true. Um, people always wonder about that, and it's easier. Like if you already have a rapport, if you know the horse or the person, and then you have an idea of you know which one to do that day. But when you meet people cold for the first time, uh, you know you go. You always spend you know a few minutes. You know, you tell them to go ride your horse, go run around the arena in both gates in both directions, and let me get a feel for this thing, because the idea is always to convey the idea either to the horse or to the person when I'm teaching, okay, if I'm on a horse, you know, where are the holes? And then if I'm teaching somebody and they're not understanding it, where are the holes? And then you, you work on exercises that way. And then if that exercise isn't working, well, then you got to change the exercise. Yeah. But I think that you particularly do a very good job of getting a result from your students. And like today I was watching, Herman was teaching one of his students and she wasn't riding. What were you having her do? 10 meter, 10 meter half, half circle. Well, it started with a turn through the circle, which should look like the yin and the yang. And that didn't happen. And so then I thought, okay, we'll just do two 10 meter half circles. And she didn't, she didn't know how to find the visual indicators, right? So if we were doing the uh, RS line, and she wasn't going far enough away from the line. So it wasn't really a half a circle. It was just more like a turn. It was more like a shallow turn. And so then I had to get up and walk <laughs> it and, and say, this is the point you're looking at. And when you cross the quarter line, and so I drug my feet through the sand and made the made the S turn, made the S turn. Yeah. And I drug my feet through the sand. And then I said, okay, so when you're leaving the mark, you're looking there. And then you're going to look here and we just did it and did it and did it and did it until she could see i mean it's like driving your car right you have to stay in your lane otherwise the other people on the road are unhappy yeah but patterns and shapes and circles and really riding accurately is a great way for us as teachers to help our students because 
by expecting you to ride very accurate figures, it gets your horse on the aids. It helps you figure out how to be effective. Like if you're like, okay, I have to get to X, then it forces you to figure out what do I need to do with my reins? What do I do with to need to do with my legs in order to get to that place? So and then when we're watching that, we can see what is or isn't happening. Yeah. And so we can either simplify that exercise yes. or complicate that exercise. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. So in my clinic, I luckily I had a set of cones and cones are really helpful. So depending on the pattern, I would set the cones out and I would be like, okay, ride from this letter and go between the cones. And just by doing that and teaching students these exercises, it gives them something to go home and practice for one. And, and like for Herman students as well, it gives them something to practice when they're not in a lesson. And I think it also really helps to give the rider and the horse a focus, which helps them to relax. And that's one thing like Herman was mentioning, when you're working with a new student and a new horse, you don't really know the student and you don't know the horse. And so you have to kind of feel your way towards your lesson. And what I mean by that is in my clinic, there was one rider, the intro rider. And on the first day, she was nervous and the horse was nervous. And she told me, she was like, hey, I'm kind of nervous. And so for me as an instructor, that means that I need to help her to feel more comfortable before I can really start pushing on her. I need to work on exercises that are simple, that are in her comfort zone and that help both her and her horse to relax and focus. So what do you Which do? what we were talking about yeah. earlier. It always comes back to the basics. And so you were working on exercise to, to solidify the basics because you cannot build your house on sand. Yeah. So when we watch the horses go around and you think, okay, training scale, is the rhythm there? Is the, you know, is that horse relaxed? Is there contact? And so then you think, okay, these exercises will help the rider feel that or if you're riding the horse you go yeah. okay i need these exercises to get the horse to do that and then if that exercise doesn't work well, you just change the exercise eventually you'll find one right and i think that's also the important part is if something's not working for a horse and for a student it's very important for us as the trainer to quickly be able to figure out why it's not working is it that they don't understand. And that's where I think you're and really that's good. I got, that's why I got off the chair, got out of the chair and actually did my job. I got up, walked around and said, okay, this is where we're going. This is what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. So if they don't understand, trying to find a different way to explain it to them can be really helpful. If the exercise is too challenging, then like Herman said, making it a little bit easier or if it's just that they need to repeat it a few times, that's kind of one of the most common things is that usually if we're introducing a new exercise. And you see that it's it's in the ballpark. It's pretty yeah. close. You just need to fine tune some things. Then we're about repeating. Yeah. So usually by just repeating it a few times and giving the rider some pointers to help them do it better, that can be really helpful. One thing that I find I do a lot with, riders is help them anticipate what 
is going to happen. And I think that that's something that people make the mistake of is that it's like, if you know that your horse is going to slow down every time by the gate, be ahead of that and speed them up before you get to the gate. Or like, right, because if, if it happens once, shame yeah. on the horse. But if it happens twice, shame on you. He already told you he was going to do that. Okay, that is that is a very good quote. I oh, think you like we, that we need to add that to the list of of Hermonisms for sure. Yeah, for sure. if it happens once, shame on the horse. Happens twice, shame on you because the horse told you. Yeah, definitely. Um, but one other thing that I think is really fun about teaching and working with different horses. And I had this in the clinic at Col in Colorado last weekend is that you have to adjust your approach depending on the horse's temperament and the rider's temperament. Right. But and experience level and yeah, all those things come into bear and then you formulate a plan. Yeah. But so at, at the clinic in Colorado, there was one student and her horse was behind the leg. Like the horse just wasn't responsive, wasn't really going forward enough. And so I had her do like a million of really quick transitions, like medium trot, walk, medium trot, walk, halt, trot, like just like super, super quick, fast, and then like walk break and then go again because that's what gets the horse hotter. And it was great because someone in the audience was like, so if I have a horse that's kind of tense, this probably wouldn't be good. Right. Yeah. There you go. Right. There you go. And so that's where experience comes in is, you know, Herman and I have ridden and trained hundreds of horses. And so we've gotten pretty good at reading the horse and sensing what that horse needs and how to adapt the exercises and the patterns to fit that specific course's needs. And then I was, I sort of missed it that one time and Sylvia came up. Yeah. <laughs> I, missed, I mean, I, I it missed happens, the rider. I, right? I the like, rider's level. And, yeah, you make mistakes. And the rider came Yeah, so you that, make mistakes that and, and that never feels good. Um, but I always, the way that I approach my teaching and my riding and everything is, to always start out in your comfort zone and with base, like with the basics, like rhythm, suppleness, connection, and start. Like I think the most common warm up we do is twenty meter circle at one end, twenty meter circle in the middle, twenty right, meter circle right. at the other. Three twenty meter circles in both gates in both directions, and yeah, it, and that's how I when I go and teach a clinic. That's generally what I do to start people when I haven't met them. Yeah, so that I can see okay, which is the concave side and the convex side uh, is the horse is the rider. You, so you get a feel for it with that basic warm up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then once you have that, like if you're like, okay, they can trot and canter 20 meter circles, then you start challenging them a little bit and seeing and see all where right, the holes are. Yeah. And then when things fall apart, you take a step back or you work through that. Um, so it's just that process. The other thing that I know you were talking today when you were teaching your student was about identifying your horse's hollow side and stiff side. Do you want to talk about that a little? So when I started riding, we just called it the stiff side and then the hollows, the stiff side and the, and the soft side. Right. Um, and then that became problematic because the horse will do some things better on the stiff side yeah. and some things 
So there was the hard side and the easy <laughs> side. And so anyway, now it just it became the concave and the convex side. I still call it the stiff side and the hollow side, but I guess that's outdated. Right. So in most, I think most people do like the people we, you know, Albrecht and Christina, we ride with them and they call it the stiff side. Yeah. So the concave and the convex side, um, and that's exactly it. So the convex side, that's the side the horse is bulging out to. And you can't treat that side the same as the other side. Um, you know, because you're supposed to hold the outside rein and supple yeah. with the inside, which only really works when the convex side is on the inside of the arena, because then you can hold the rein on the concave side and supple like crazy and move them over into the rein that they don't want. So I think you've confused them. Right. That's probably <laughs> yes. what happens a it's lot. It's really confusing. And that's how come I always, when I teach this and I'm riding and I talk to people, I go, you see how easy it is? Um, so when you go on the convex side, on the inside of the arena, you get to hold the outside rein and go inside leg to outside rein and supple. And it's great. But when you do that on the concave side, then they the convex side out. keeps bulging and you hold yes. that outside rein and the horse leans into it and you try to supple and drive with your inside leg and the horse keeps leaving the circle. Yes. So that's where you have to change it up a little bit and hold the inside rein as if it were the outside rein, supple the convex side, get him straight and then ride it normal. Okay. <laughs> to simplify all of this, because even I am sitting here like everything's going over my head. But one reason that we focus on riding patterns and figures is because it solves this or it helps to improve your horse's hollow side and stiff side and make your horse more symmetrical. So if you can ride a perfect 10 meter circle to the left and a perfect 10 meter circle to the right, you're working on getting your horse more even and more supple. Right. Because at the end of the day, the goal is that the horse is even in both yes. reins. Yes. That's the goal. And that you have the horse even in both reins, serpentine. Style. Yes. And that's where you see the deficiencies, right? So you turn yeah. left and the circle's beautiful. You, you turn to the right, the horse falls five feet in. The, yeah. Well, now you know the horse is an inside leg to outside rein. And so that's what we see. And then you start coming up with exercises. Yeah. Either to make the horse more supple if we're riding or for the rider to be able to feel it. Yes. Yeah. And so. Whenever we are teaching a student, you want to work your horse equally left and right. So you don't just be like, oh, the right side's harder. So I'm so only going to go yeah. to the right. No. You always want to work your horse evenly left and right. That said, your approach might need to be slightly different depending on which is your horse's concave side and which is your horse's convex side. The goal ultimately is that if you close your eyes, you have equal rein contact and equal pressure in your legs. Obviously, that's not all the time happening. And to be honest, it rarely happens. Right. But, but that's, that's the, the goal. ultimate goal. That's the goal. But, yeah. you know, and then from the judge's point of view, the shoulder in is on three tracks. Yeah. And so if you've got more weight and you've got to be busier and more supply on the one side, is the horse on three tracks? Yeah. But I, I think that it's it's always a process to get your horse more symmetrical. Every horse is crooked. And to complicate things, every rider is crooked. And often I think that 
the rider crookedness is like more of a problem a lot of times right, than the crookedness the rider, of the horse. Because the horses go the way you ride them. So if yeah. you're crooked, you're sideways, you're dominant to one hand, then that will go to the horse as well. Yeah. Look, someone's from Argentina. Yes, we won today. Vamos, vamos. Okay, okay, we're done now. We won't do that anymore. <laughs> you scared the dog when they when they made a goal. When they were like three minutes in, they scored. Yeah. So anyway, it's really fun to work with new students and new horses, and it's like a puzzle from a trainer's perspective to you know to try to read the the student, read the horse, and then identify some problems, and then figure out how to help them through that, give them some tools and some exercises. I always try when I go to a clinic to like, I feel like a clinic, I try to give them several different exercises and patterns that they could do to work on a problem. And then the idea is that you go home and you have to like do the dirty work and you just have to repeat. And it takes time to develop that proficiency where you're really ready for the next level. The other thing that someone from the clinic actually commented about as well is as an instructor, it's very important to have a balance between giving your student like positive and encouragement and then also telling them the what truth. they need to do better. You know, it's not all it's not all apple slices and sugar cubes. Um, but you need you need positive reinforcement because if you're riding with a trainer who's just telling you that you know you're terrible and your horse is terrible and everything that's wrong it's i had that trainer and um and because of that i now go the extra mile to explain how because just telling people that it's wrong and it's crap without a solution isn't teaching no it, it's, you tell them what they've done that's right, and you tell them what they've done that's not right, that needs improvement, and, and there's a range, and that's how come the judges have numbers, because it's not yeah. all the way good, and it's not all the way bad, and so, you know, the hallway narrows as we go, but that that's information that the riders need to have, is what they did that was correct, yeah. and what they did that wasn't. Yeah, yeah, and I think that it's it's so important, I know that I feel when I ride with a trainer that builds you up and makes you want to try harder and not that they're not hard on you. And like, you know, the horse needs to be rounder. You've got to go more forward. Um, you need to know what to do to get better because we all want to get better, but you also have to have on the backside of that is just like our horses. There has to be a reward. Like, and you do that good. Like, I know you say like super, like, that's it. That's what I want. You know, giving the riders that encouragement when they do the right thing as well is extremely important to have a, a good and healthy balance between, you know, do this, but then also that was right. And one thing is, I know we both do this as trainers is always trying to say something in the positive. So rather than saying um, you're leaning forward, stop leaning forward. That doesn't help. Right. You need to tell them to sit back because always that's what the positive. to do. It's right. always what to do. Right. And the same, and that is so much more important with the horses too. Yeah. Because the horses can't rationalize anything. So you never want to tell your horse to stop doing something. You tell them to do yeah. something. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I, I didn't have kids, but I use this one all the time. I mean, it's much easier to keep your kids quiet if you give them a coloring book and some crayons, as opposed to telling them to sit on the couch and be still. They're not going to stay on the couch and be still. They will get a coloring book. And it's the same for your horses. You don't want to say stop misbehaving. You want to make them behave. Yeah. You give them a task. You yeah. give them a job. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it makes a huge difference. And, and also with your horses, you know, the more that you reward your horse when they do the right thing and tell them they're good and take the pressure off, then your horse wants to try harder and harder and harder for you. And I think that that's, it's just so important in an instructor that you have someone that believes in you, someone that gives you a healthy balance of like, I don't want my trainers to just tell me that it's good when it's not. But and then go get a 47 at the show. Yeah. Because, you know, they've been blowing, right. blowing sunshine up your skirt. That's not helpful either. Right. But you do need a trainer that, that like Herman said, that gives you solutions that helps you. And then that tells you when you take a step in the right direction. And I think that's important to remember is that. Because it's never going to be perfect. Is no. It? And today that could be just yeah. good enough. Sometimes it's just good enough. And then tomorrow's another day. Yeah. And it's a process, like training is a process. And that's important for the instructor to understand where is this rider? So like for me at the clinic, it was fun because I started intro and I got all the way up to FEI. So with the intro rider, I had very different expectations for her than for the FEI rider. Like, like every single rider, we practice trot canter transitions. That's something I do with every single horse I ride, every single rider. It's a very difficult, it's but it's, but standard. Impo- I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a super important exercise. However, with the... You have to ride that canter trot transition at the end of the Grand, Grand Prix test because yeah. it's not so easy that. And you have to do passage to canter. So I think trot canter trots are like the best warm up for any horse at any level. And I do them with, I would say, 90% of the lessons I teach. Maybe more, maybe 100%. Um, but anyways, my point is that my standard for the trot canter transition is very different for a training intro level rider versus an FEI rider. Like an FEI rider, the horse better be around. The horse better react right when you ask for the canter. The horse should stay straight and connected from inside leg to outside rein. There's a much higher standard. Um, with the intro level it, rider, if I have that standard for her, it's not it's possible. It's not attainable. And so right. then it's discouraging. Yeah. I mean, you can make things impossible for the horse. You can make, and then you just have frustration. Yes. And that's not good for anyone. No, <laughs> it's not good for anyone. I will say that teaching is incredibly rewarding. It is so fun to see someone understand something or have a breakthrough or it's very satisfying when you see the improvement yeah because i get that a lot too they're like oh i'm just a beginner i'm a newcomer and i don't care when i see the improvement it's yeah. fine by me yeah um you know i, I just i have to see that improvement otherwise because it's got to be fun for me it's got to be fun for the horse it's got to be fun for the rider and if one of the three of us isn't happy it's not going to work <laughs> yes and I do think that it it makes a huge difference for us as trainers. And we can tell. It's like when you show up 10 minutes before your lesson and you're ready and you have your headset and your horse has walked and 
you know, you've thought about your last lesson and you've rehearsed it in your mind and you're proactive about your writing and you remember what we told you yesterday and you're thinking ahead, it makes all the difference. And that is really important. We can only do so much sitting from our chairs. We can't learn it for you. Yeah. And so you have to be meeting us halfway. And um, one thing that is extremely important is your mindset and figuring out what you need to do for yourself mentally so that when you come to your lesson, that you are present. Present. Free of distractions. Yeah, you've got to be there. Your horse requires that. Yeah. And I think you also have to have a very open mindset when you're taking a lesson that you are willing to try what your trainer is telling you to do without judgment or like preconceived notions, because it's very difficult to teach someone, for example, that is like, oh, I just can't canter or I can't ride a half pass or my horse doesn't do this because if you, if you have, say you can or you say you can't, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And so what I always try and do when I'm in a lesson is I try to really be present and do exactly to the best of my ability what my trainer is telling me to do. Often you need to do more than you think you need to do, right? And you say that all the time. It's more than you think. Yeah. So like if your trainer tells you to go more forward, you need, probably need to go a lot more forward. Like when I'm getting out of the chair yelling and chasing them, they needed to go more forward the first 42 times I said it. Right. Or sometimes I know I hear you say this. You're like, bend them, bend them to the left. And you're like, turn their head a lot to the left, pull their head around. And not that, you know, you want to do that all the time, but you do have to you get have to a apply result. the aid. Yeah. You know, it, it's not just flex your muscle. And because the aid has to affect the change in the horse. Yes. And if you don't affect a change in the horse, what you've taught the horse is to ignore the aid because you've applied the aid and you can't apply the aid indefinitely. So the pressure will go away and the horse hasn't changed. So you've done something and now you've not done something. The horse didn't have to change. And so what's the lesson for the horse? Yeah. And I think that once you have like a certain level of competency and confidence with your horse, don't be afraid to experiment a little and try to do a little more and get like always start in your comfort zone, but then try something new and see what happens. And we all learn in the mistakes. Yeah. And then go back to the basics and go back to your comfort zone and then improve from there. But it's, um, it, it's a learning process. And I think that really the only way to get better at riding is by riding. Do you, you remember that? Learn how to ride? Ride. Yeah. There was a barn that we used to go to in Germany when we were trying horses. And that's what it said on the wall in German. Yeah. Want to learn how to ride? Ride. Yeah. So. Yeah. We were definitely on a soapbox this night. We yes. have not answered one question. I know. And I have a meeting in three minutes. So um, anyways. Okay. We'll answer a few questions. What's your advice for an aspiring professional? Ride every horse that comes your way. <laughs> yes. And be prepared to work your butt off. It will pay off in the end, but I, we both have, you know, it's seven days a week, 
12 hour days and you have to love it. I think that's my other advice is never lose track of the fact that you love the horses. horses. Are great. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of stuff that comes in and along, but the horses themselves, they're just wonderful. Yeah. And the other stuff, you just, whatever. Yes. Um, okay. There was one other good question here that I liked. Um, oh, I forget. Oh, so when you're working on a stat, I can't find it, but it was something to the effect of when you're working on establishing contact with your horse, which is more important, the inside rein or the outside rein? Well, <laughs> they're simultaneous, but different. So you have the inside rein, which is your suppling rein, um, but you can't supple them into nothing. So you have to have an outside rein and you have to have a suppling rein. So if you had to say one, well, then it's the outside rein because you've yes. got the contact. But that will create stiffness if you don't have some flexion happening. Yes. All right, everyone. Um, great session. We always make these into podcasts, which is why we're trying to make them more concise with the topic. So check out Dressage with Amelia, just like on your iPhone or whatever, Shopify, wherever you listen to, not Shopify, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can always catch these if you miss them live. Uh, for those of you in 30 Days to Round, videos are due this Sunday, and we will be picking the top seven people and giving away $10,000. So that's going to be exciting. We're going to be watching... A lot, a lot of videos. Of videos. We may have to employ your help. Okay. Um, but it's been so fun to see everyone in 30 Days to Round just making so much progress and encouraging one another. It's an amazing program and an amazing group. So, all right. We did right. our we, Facebook we, Live we and Instagram Live. Now we have to figure out how to turn everything off. Good night, everyone. Bye. Now. Bye. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for all of your awesome questions and I hope you learned something new from listening. If you're new to the podcast and you'd like a question answered on a future one, get on touch on Facebook through Amelia's Dressage Club, Instagram at Amelia Newcomb Dressage or YouTube at Amelia Newcomb Dressage and mark the question for the live sessions. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you like it, please share it, review it, and tune in again next week. Thanks so much and happy riding.